My name is Johnny Ball, and I'm the founder of Campaign Force, a not-for-profit that inspires, trains, and coaches the armed forces community to stand up and serve again. I've served on the front line of military operations, and in civilian life, the front line of UK politics. This Veterans in Politics podcast is a set of interviews brought to you by Campaign Force and sets out to explore how the military community can help make our politics a better place. I lean into my little black book of contacts and sit down with individuals from across the world of politics, sharing secrets, giving tips and advice and inspiring the next generation. We are Campaign Force. This is the Veterans in Politics podcast. Let's introduce you to our guest. We kick off this series with veteran in politics, former 2-9 commando officer and current veterans minister, Johnny Mercer MP. In this episode, he talks openly about why he became an MP, what drives him with his core mission and the challenges he faced getting started in politics. He also reveals the secret to his success, despite being told he'd never win. This honest and frank conversation is not to be missed. Listen on to find out more about how he taps into his military past to help him in the present and who inspires him in life. A great first episode to kick off this Veterans in Politics series. It's time for you to listen to the conversation. This podcast series was recorded over Zoom during the lockdown period. This was part of an exclusive event laid on for veterans and serving personnel. We'd like to thank our guests for allowing us to release part of this conversation for you in podcast format. Johnny Mercer, MP, welcome to the Veterans in Politics podcast. Just tell us a, a little bit about your journey into politics before we kick off. Um, I'd never voted before. I had no idea how to be an MP. Um, there was no one in my family had ever been an MP. No one really talked about politics, but I was pretty fed up with the way our cohort was kind of uh, looked after through Iraq, Afghan particularly for me, but then the process of looking after people after Afghan. And I just thought, um, I'll give it a go. And I uh, threw everything at it. I left um, and um, never really looked back. Um, and I found politics. Uh, I mean, I've been very lucky because I've had a, you know, I've had a pretty high profile time. But in my, in my view, I haven't really done anything special. I've just kind of done it in a way that uh, I think it should be done, just going out there, banging on doors. I don't really, obviously I'm a Conservative MP, I don't really go in for, for all the sort of mudslinging and all that crap, although everyone has a go at me all the time. Um, I just kind of focus on what I'm trying to achieve um, and I'm kind of happy with that and make my peace with that and uh, try and serve the communities that I'm there to represent. Um, and if I do that to the best of my ability, I'm happy. We need to improve the standard of people in public life. Uh, and I'll, I'll do anything I can to help people get across the gap. Um, I mean, why on earth did you become an MP really in the first place? I mean, you touched on it, but what really was the main driver, would you say? The main driver was that I could not, I, I could not marry the contrast between when we would get ministers and MPs come out to Afghan and visit a PB or whatever, and they never really came to my PBs because obviously they would go to... Um, central locations but marrying the the kind of indifference right uh, of that and the sort of patriotism and dedication of the blokes basically blokes and girls that i was looking after 
And the trouble is, you know, I did I did three Afghans in pretty quick succession. Um, and it's not like I, I, I sort of went native or anything, but I did, you know, uh, summer after summer after summer, you, you do begin to see what the guys give to the organisation and, and the cause and, and, the, and the regiment. And uh, I just felt that we deserved a lot better from politicians. And I, I say I hated politicians. I didn't hate them. I just thought they were, I thought they were really shit. And that as a nation, we deserved better. Um, and um, and that, that genuinely was it. Um, a bit of a mad idea. Um, I thought I'd had a good time in the military. Um, but I did, I'm not one of those who had anything sort of bad to say, you know, that I was fed up and all this crap. I had a great time in the military. I loved it. And I'd go back in a heartbeat. On that, um, on the military... Um do you think that what was what was more of a challenge, transitioning out of the military or transitioning into politics? Oh, so transitioning out is really tough because you know, particularly if you joined at young. So I joined uh, nineteen, right? So everything I knew was in the military, um, and uh, and it's tough that transition going from there into civilian life and stuff. Then you know, sort of making the the move directly across into political life has been a huge challenge um and um it's tough yeah of course it's tough i mean people i think get the impression it's easier i i would say i've been incredibly fortunate i do think i've been fortunate because i've had you know um i've won elections that people have never won before you know never had a tory represent plymouth more view you know and for that to happen you know you can sit there and think oh i'm great but the reality is that the political direction and what goes on and the, the demographic makeup of a city in an area has to be with you. The flow has to be with you. Um, the national political and international political flow has to be with you. And these things, are so, so I have been quite, um, quite fortunate as well. Um, but yeah, it's tough, you know, and I wouldn't, um, you know, people get the impression, I think when they see me in the media and so on, that it's, it's just a hoot. Um, and I would, I would, I, I it would be dishonest of me not to reinforce that it's the complete opposite. It's bloody hard. It's genuine service, and um, not a day goes by when you don't think about jacking it in. Yeah, I mean, those of us in this room will know that in order to face the task that we've all faced, is that you get trained for it, right? I mean, what's that kind of training like, or turning up to Westminster that for that initial first phase of? You know, the unknown. We know that. Yeah, so there's like there's training. like zero training, right? There's zero training. The way political parties work is a bit weird. You you kind of it's a bit like a club, right? And you have to do your time with that club. You know, doing all the shit jobs and all the rest of it, and that kind of builds your political standing. If you just go and kick the door down like I did and win an unwinnable seat, um, what then happens is that you're learning your lessons on the hoof right so when you do make mistakes and everybody will and i've made plenty um they're very public and um you know so what i learned pretty early on was the best thing i could do was just listen all the time and just be mega i know it sounds really chad we talk about humility in the military and sometimes we're not very good at it certainly in some of the units i served with but the one thing I use the most of is, is humility because I just had to accept that I knew nothing about this political world. 
And whilst the military were equipped with so many skills that you can you can listen, you can easily adapt, you can you can have agile thinking, you you can speak to anyone, you can get on with anyone. Um, you know, I did kind of have to just learn from uh, scratch how politics works, and to do that, the only way to do that is just open your ears and get on. Which is which is actually the converse of what a lot of people do when they get here, because they think being an MP is a big deal. And this has been this is the highlight of fifteen or twenty years worth of work with their local political party, um, and so they kind of it kind of goes to their head a bit, and um, that's why you see some of these some of the ridiculous behaviours you see in the press. Obviously, in the military, you have that kind of that um, in order to prevent those mistakes, you have you know your colour sergeant, your section commander, your leading hands, and all that good stuff, and other services may apply. Um, do, do you have like the virtual political Brecon point um, from someone within Westminster, apart from the Whips office? But let's not talk about them. Um, you know, is there was there someone kind of helping you and as you started out at the beginning? No, absolutely not. I mean, a guy called Bob Stewart was saying, when I was looking to be an MP, right, I didn't know any MPs, I didn't know anything. I literally downloaded, this was like 2013, right? You could download a PDF of the, of, uh, the phone numbers of the House of Commons. And I literally just started cold calling MPs. And then I got through to Bob, and I went for a bit of Bob, and he put me through selection, uh, and I got through. Um, that, that, that was literally it. You know, in terms of, mates pulling you through when you know i could count my friends in this place on one hand really um you know so you've got to you've got to have your wits about you you've got to listen and you've got to be humble enough to um accept that you know nothing about it without being kind of you know pathetic right because you've had an amazing career in the military the military is such a privileged environment it's such a you know, and I, I was guilty of it as much as anybody else of kind of wishing it away at the end. Um, you only really realise that when you get outside and sort of yeah. people you meet and work with. Um, you know, so uh, I, I realise I'm not selling it, but I'm just trying to be honest. I, you know, <laughs> we'll come on to this later. I still yeah. would maintain it's the best thing you can do because I've achieved genuine, irreversible strategic change for the people years, I'm right? trying to represent, which I would never do elsewhere. I'm just a bucksy, you know junior bloke i you know I, but but i have achieved these things through the medium of politics so it's, it's well worth doing but don't you know don't think it's a better roses not sure and and how much you think in terms of those achievements in just sort of five short years um or so um how much of that do you think comes from your military toolbox? Is there something within your values or the skills that you've learned through your military career that you really draw upon when the times are tough? Yeah, all the time. I mean, when I was a, when I was a backbencher, um, you know, you have, uh, when I was, for example, closing down the Iraq historical allegations team, I used to get texts like one in the morning from some of the political staff in the MOD saying this is the end of your career and all this stuff. And, I, and you know, and I would just think to myself, well, actually, this is what I'm here to do. I don't really give a stuff about my political career. I get, yeah. I, for me, politics is a vehicle to get things done. It's not a career. It's not, it's not stage to walk upon. It's, it's here. I'm here because I want to get shit done. And I want to go. Right? I want to get yeah. back to Cornwall and Plymouth and my family. Um, and that very much came from the military, you know, uh, because I have, you know, my, my friends and my colleagues. And I must say the military has been very, very good to me, though. You know, from the most senior officers in the land downwards. And don't underestimate what a, you know, blokes will just come up to me in Plymouth in the pub and just say, 
you know, thanks for what you're doing, whatever. That is a huge boost. And, yeah, and that compares to like, myself on the doorstep of Plymouth Moorview. Yeah, when you came down the doors, that. right? That's what yeah. keeps me going. Um, you know, and that's why I don't really give a shit what they write about me in the papers or what my colleagues think about me. Because okay. I'm, I'm not really there for them. I'm there for the guys who haven't been represented for a bloody long time. And if, you know, and if they're, you know, they're the ones that are happy. So, and they keep voting for me, right? I've, I've got the biggest percentage vote anyone's ever had in Plymouth. So um, that's what I mean. Like politics isn't that difficult. You've just got to do it for the right reasons, I think, and do it in the right way. And people aren't stupid. But I think politicians for a long time have treated people like they're stupid. Yeah, I guess that's kind of a bit of advice for all of us here on this call, um, for those that are aspiring into office. But what's that one bit of advice that you get? You must have tons of veterans dropping you emails. I know that from Felicity, you know, and, and for those that I've had discussions with. And um, what's that one bit of advice that you always ask for or that you're always giving um, to veterans looking at getting into politics? Is there something that comes up time and time again? Um it would be like anything, really. I mean, just just never give up. Just never wrap. You know, if you want to do it, it'll happen for you. Yeah. You see, you see some of these guys who get in. I mean, you know, it's not. It's it, it can be done. Um, and just just never wrap, and just really mm-hmm. go for it. Really commit to it as well. Um, but commit to it in a clever way. Don't uh, don't. Um, I don't know. Like I hear people just going, "I'm going to wait and go for a safe seat and all that crap." You're never going to change anything, you know. Um, not going to change a single life doing that. Just get stuck in, uh, really go for it. And there'll be plenty of people like me who want to pull you through. There you go. And it's not a competition. <laughs> who would you say is the best operator in Westminster and why? The best operator? Yeah. In what What do you mean? In what, in well, what context? In terms of someone you look to, uh, whether it's across the chamber or in your own benches, and you just think, wow, you know, that person knows their shit. They're... They're, they're a good operator, they're a good politician, they've got it right, that's someone that I can aspire to be like or learn from. Not allowed to say yourself either, despite those pictures <laughs> over your shoulders. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know you've got, let me help you, about, help you out a bit, I know you've got good relationships with the opposition. Um, I know yeah, but they're my mates, you know what I mean? Yeah, you've, so you've, so you've, I like people like Wes Streisand yeah. or Peter Kyle. Right? Peter Kyle, um, he's just a really good bloke. And he's got different interests to me. You know, he's big into the LGBT community and all that stuff. And I just really respect his dogmatic approach to what he believes in. You know, so yeah. you know, so I don't look at them and think I aspire to be like that because I'll never, I'll never be like that. I, you know, so it's not a kind of, it's not like you have a one up in the military and you think I could learn a bit. You know, there's people you can learn from in all sorts of walks of life. But I'd say the House of Commons isn't really one of them. I learned from, like today, I had a chat with the guy who runs a charity called Only a Pavement Away, right? And he is, um, he's got a specific group on veterans. Uh, he's doing some amazing stuff. He's getting uh, veterans, particularly homeless veterans, into uh, the hospitality se- uh, sector. He's got a brilliant, uh, his stats are brilliant in terms of getting them in there, keeping a job, reoffending, all that stuff. I'm going to do everything I can to help him with the Office of Veterans Affairs. It's people like that that I look at and I think, wow, man, you know, you've really got your shit in one sock. Um, yeah. You've got some serious motivation as well. Like, I really respect these guys who, because a lot of people's lives, you know, you don't realise it in the military because you're generally with fit, robust individuals who want to be there, right? A lot of people's lives are really bloody difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't know how to navigate life. They, 
uh, you know, they, they don't have a home. They don't know how to pay council tax. Um, and yet people like this guy today, they just consistently motivate themselves to help the poorest in society. And I really respect that because for myself, I like that life chance agenda for the poorest people in Plymouth. That's what really motivates me. But these guys, they never lose that motivation. They keep fighting for these people. And I really, really respect that. Um, so a lot of my mates run charities and work in the third sector, um, uh, run schools. A lot of my mates are head teachers. So some of my mates in Plymouth are head teachers in really difficult schools in some of our poorest areas. That's the kind of thing I respect in politics. Does that make sense? I don't, yeah, look, no, at the, does. I don't look at the guys who you know, who've been promoted, for example. I mean, you know, you get promoted basically for compliance over competence, right? So there's no point looking at these guys and thinking, well, I want to be like you, because I genuinely don't. If I became like that, I'd be really disappointed with myself. Well, so, something's, something's worked out for you, because you've remained true and, and you, you're doing well. Um, and I, I think... I've annoyed point, everybody. <laughs> Persistence, that grafting bit, you know, the, uh, you know, keep digging in. Um, I guess, you know, the picking up that point in our community, we're kind of sport for these figures, um, particularly, you know, our generation um, that are out there in the community and absolutely smashing it. Uh, and slightly going to embarrass someone on the call, James Cameron, JC from Mission Motorsport. But, you know, there are people like James um, and like Michael Coates at Declassified Podcast and, you know, I know you've worked with, um, that are these kind of role models that are absolutely out there um, in the community, absolutely smashing it, um, which is absolutely mega. So I guess, you know, we've sort of touched a little bit on your journey and what motivates you and your experience, but but what's next uh, for Johnny Mercer? Um, I mean, you talk about resetting the nation's relationship with her veterans. What do you mean by that? And, and what's, what does that mean to us all? I think we've got a long way to go. I think uh, we've made we've made progress, but strategic change in this space is very difficult, right? So we were the only five eyes country in the world without an office of veterans affairs. You know, I've managed to get Boris alongside to, to kind of open that up and I'm creating that now. And on the weekend I was speaking to him and to Michael Gove and to Ben Wallace about how we refine that going forward. Um, you know, my mission has always been to reset this country's relationship with her military because I think there's some, there's some massive gaps out there, right? There's some gaps between what people perceive of our veteran cohort, i.e. that too many of us are mad, bad and dangerous to know. The reality is completely different. Um, there's a gap between what people think defence is for and what it is actually for. Um, and there's a, gap, a huge gap between how this nation behaves around remembrance and how they actually look after those who've served. Uh, and the overwhelming sympathy, which I think should be replaced by empathy, uh, so that we can ask... So when I'm doing stuff with the Office of Veterans Affairs, I don't... I don't you know, the, the binding question is, what is it like to be a veteran in the UK in 2020? Right? Um, what is that experience like? There's no point me... I did some stuff with Google today. Well, I'm going to launch an app. The OVA is basically going to be an app. Right. So instead of veterans saying, oh, I've sent my claim to the MOD, I never heard anything, the MOD is shit. Everything's going to be on your app, on your smartphone. You'll be able to go on there, see where you can get help. Veteran friendly GPs in the area of the Vets Gateway will be on there. Vets UK will be on there, just giving them 22 million quid to digitize. You'll be able, if you're serving, you'll be able to start your help to buy claim on there. You'll be able to do your armed force compensation scheme. This will all be on your phone in your pocket. Right. And I'm looking to do it with Google. Um, you know, 
these are these are strategic changes that are really difficult and it's certainly not something that I'll achieve you know I, I set timelines for the guys who work for me I realize it's very difficult to meet them um, so we've got a long way to go um, you know I don't I, I don't really have any ambitions for myself I, I have I'm very ambitious about our agenda though I'm, my wife's having a baby in six weeks mate and then I, yeah. I'm gonna sort myself out this summer so that's as far as my personal ambitions yeah. go I'm afraid thanks to our guests and thank you for listening if you've enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe now. Alternatively, you can support our mission by checking out in the show notes below where you can rate, donate or become our mate. Thank you.